Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. On Thursday, the Dallas Cowboys bit the Seattle Seahawks on a nail biter of a game. But more importantly, Dak Prescott had an MVP case type of game. Jake Ferguson showed a continued development that it is very important for the Cowboys. And tonight, we'll break down here on primetime. Let's get to it. Here we go. What is up, everyone? And welcome into ADC Sports Dallas primetime. I am your host. Mauricio Rodriguez, streaming with you live every Sunday through Thursday night at 8 p.m. Central here on Dallas On The Man Sports Talk Network with a lot more content coming your way. Make sure that you check out adzsports.com slash Dallas. And as always, do me a favor and hit the like button if you enjoyed the content. Thank you for joining me on this Sunday night. It is a good night to talk some Cowboys football, and we haven't seen each other since last Wednesday. So since the last time that we saw each other, the Cowboys dropped 41 points on the Seattle Seahawks on a fantastic game, at least for the offense. There's a lot to talk about that. Uh, but then on Sunday, things got slightly better for Dallas as well because the Eagles lost. So suddenly, NFC East is a little bit back in play, even though... The situation is a little bit misleading, and we'll talk about that and what NFC East control really means right now for the Cowboys in a little bit because it's somewhat of an illusion. So we'll get to that later on the show. But first, let me say hi and let me ask you this. What was or who was the player of the game for Cowboys versus Seahawks last Thursday? Because there are a lot of worthy candidates on that one. Who was the player of the game for you? Let me know in the chat. In the meantime, let me say hi and let me check out who is on the YouTube chat. We've got Toxic Tom, we've got Mark, Katharina, we've got Jimmy, we've got Michael, Alpha Mason, we've got Bruce, we've got uh, Justin as well on the show. Al, thank you everybody for getting into the show on this Sunday while the Packers and the Chiefs end up uh end up uh playing this first half <laughs> i didn't get at all I, I didn't get at all what sam just said in the chat but hey thank you thank you for being here in the in the show i understand now i'm sorry it took me a while to read that comment he says that he avoids this show well this is the only cowboy youtuber on so you got your chance for a repeat customer bro sam i appreciate you man but hey, if you don't if you don't enjoy the show, you usually avoid it. Then why would you just click on it, man? The one and only Ron Don Smith says Jake Ferguson. That is the answer for the one and only Ron Don Smith. He says Jake Ferguson. He is becoming a phenomenal as a tight end, and he's really been phenomenal for the Cowboys. And that game, that's that game from him specifically, is what I really want to talk about tonight. Uh, but Mark Aaron has a different answer, though. He goes with the Marcus on defense, the Marcus Lawrence, who had a big moment right there at the end of the game. I think one of the plays that gets lost on this one will be that tackle for a loss on fourth down. That was amazing. Uh, Modelo says the kicker was the player of the game. Brandon Aubrey for uh, Modelo time here. Let me say this. I could go with Dak Prescott very easily, but tonight I want to talk a little bit more about what Jake Ferguson means for the Cowboys, what his rise specifically means for Dallas. We saw six catches from him for 77 yards and a touchdown, but the game felt like more than just stats for Jake Ferguson because he really stepped up to the plate in a huge moment and in a big way. It was clear right from the get-go that the Cowboys were going to have a bad time stopping the Seattle Seahawks, right? 
It wasn't only that 73-yard touchdown for DK Metcalf where he beats Aaron Blanting coverage and Donovan Wilson gets a little bit lost there as well. It's difficult to really place blame on that one because it's really a heck of a throw and a heck of a catch between Geno and, and DK. So you got to give them some credit for that. You look at the film and you look at where Darren Bland is, and sure, he gets bitten on the rep, but it's also not like he's egregiously left behind or anything like that. It's just one of those confident footballs that Geno Smith will throw every, every once in a while. We talked about that a little bit on Wednesday. Like Geno trusts his arm, sometimes to a fault. And sometimes he hits on so many of those throws. And that's basically what happened on Thursday on several levels. We saw a fantastic game from Geno. I'm not trying to basically, you know, give the Cowboys defense an excuse, but I think it's only fair to also admit that, hey, Geno was on fire on Thursday. So it wasn't only that play, but we knew from the start that the Seahawks were going to have a good day offensively. They were really clicking on all cylinders. So it became clear that the Cowboys were going to need to step up on offense. And sure, we know about CD. We know how good he is. And he was insane on Thursday, just gaining separation down after down after down. But Jake Ferguson had a little bit of that dog in him, right? As people say in social media, Jake Ferguson was the guy that was stepping up to some of these Seahawks players, particularly Jamal Adams, as we've learned uh, over the last few days that Jamal Adams has had a tough time on social media, too. We'll talk about that, too, here in a little bit. Maybe. I'm not sure if we will. But, you know, Jake Ferguson was on fire. We saw some moments where the, the play where he is running this shallow route and then he hurdles over a Seahawks defender for a ton of yards after the catch. That wasn't something new for Cowboys fans. It was just as exciting as the first time that he did it when he was a rookie. But we had seen that version of Jake Ferguson before. And then we see the screen passes and how he was involved in the screen game. There were like five attempts for a screen pass from the Cowboys. And two of them were just like Jake Ferguson being an absolute monster and wanting to get physical and carrying defenders to move the chains or at least get close to it. So we saw that as well. And then when it was crunch time, we saw that little bit of a change-up play from the Cowboys were Looks like they're running slant flats. So with CD being the slant from the left side of the offense and Jake Ferguson seemingly running the flat before turning upfield into the end zone. But that is a, just a great chemistry play between Dak and Jake. Dak is making the right throw. He's putting the ball in the right place. But Jake Ferguson is crossing the, the face of Jamal Adams, adjusting the route a little bit towards the inside to get into the end zone and just grabs the football with his both hands. It isn't like a chest catch or anything like that. Just stepping up in a big play. So we saw all that. And the reason why I believe is it is massive is for football and X's and O's related reasons, I just think that the Cowboys red zone offense can still improve. And the Dallas Cowboys have been just amazing in getting into the red zone in the first place. They remain the best team at doing so, actually, after 13 weeks of the season. And I believe that is a pretty impressive mark for obvious reasons. But that being said, even though they're improving, they were like dead last in the league earlier in the year. And now they're around like average. I think they're 17th right now in red zone touchdown efficiency rate. They can still get a little bit better. And when you get Dick Ferguson is developing that chemistry with Dak, who clearly loves Jake Ferguson, by the way. That's some amazing praise from him post-game after the, after the Seahawks game. And if, if you get that chemistry growing, red zone offense is going to become much easier for you because Ferguson is kind of like a matchup problem. He's physical to the point where putting a safety on him <clears throat> is doable, but he better be a physical safety. <clears throat> but he's also fast enough and agile enough and pretty good at his route running. He's getting better at his route running, of course, for you to match him up against a linebacker. But he's also a violent blocker. So if you put a safety on him, he can beat you in blocking. I'm not talking about getting you to the ground or anything like that, but he is willing to block. And you guys know that in football, sometimes that is like 90% of the job when it comes to tight ends being run blockers. If they are willing 
to be violent, and Jake is clearly willing to be so, he's going to be huge too for your offense and for how you match up against certain defenses. But again, Thursday was about much more than that. There was a moment where he was fired up, just, you know, cheapy against Seahawks defenders and squaring up against the, uh, Jamal Adams. Sometimes I think that fans overblow what those moments are. But in big games like Thursdays, you cannot tell me that, does, that that doesn't fire up uh, other players. That other players don't see that, especially in a close game, and are like, heck yeah, that's, that's my guy. That's Jake Ferguson. That was really, really big for the Cowboys, in my opinion. And we saw a very fired up Cowboys offense on, on Thursday. You got to really enjoy what Ferguson is becoming for the Cowboys. And it's all about consistency now, moving forward. It's been that way since earlier in the year, but we've seen great moments from Jake all throughout the season. It's also been moments of like, you know, maybe a slow game, but I don't think we've seen really big mistakes basically since week one and week two when we heard about Jake Ferguson even, even needing, needing uh, help from one of the coaches to really get him out of that hole in his own words where they were like, hey, listen, and get those drops getting to your head. And Jake Ferguson didn't. He's really become one of the most important weapons on this offense. Let's see what you guys have to say here. Toxic Tom says, Fergie could arguably be Dak's number one options, uh, option, excuse me, especially with most tight ends unable to cover uh, tight ends, says uh, Toxic Tom. I don't know if you meant like uh, safety or something like that. Uh, let's see here. George says, by the way, it will be number one after Sunday. Let's see here. Skun has been playing good, plus he blocks his ass off, says Mutated. Uh, he actually was one of the highest rated blockers on that game from Thursday. So shout out to Luke Skun Maker, I guess. Let's see here. Katharina says, Parsons did a real end win, though, says Katharina. We'll talk about Michael's final play and a slight detail that he revealed about the play which I've been thinking about so much since Thursday. Had an article about it and everything. We posted it on the YouTube community page. We'll talk about that here in a moment as well. But yeah, Jake Ferguson just really, really growing to the point where I don't think there's any questions about the Dalton Schultz decision anymore. And I'm somebody that wasn't exactly sure about the whole Dalton Schultz thing. Because even though I understood that the Cowboys didn't see him, as a matchup problem that dictates coverage or anything like that, I understood that, hey, he was also very cheap to sign for the Houston Texans. So I was in this boat where I was like, hey, maybe the Cowboys should have kept Dalton Schultz. Not anymore. Jake Ferguson has proven us wrong, I believe. Well, at least people who were on this boat, as I'm saying right now. Jake Ferguson is clearly the guy for the Cowboys moving forward. And I don't think that Schoonmaker is competing for that job even in 2024, honestly, based on what we've seen so far from Jake. Now, all that being said, I also think that Ferguson can be that matchup problem and that guy that dictates coverage, at least to a degree, that Dalton Schultz wasn't uh, ever for Dallas. He was reliable. He was all that. He wasn't a guy that dictated coverage. And I'm not saying he's going to be a priority over City or anything like that, but he's a guy that, hey, those defensive meeting rooms, they're going to be talking about what to do about 87 because he, he has proven that he has that, uh, that clutch factor to, to the whole thing, and, and he's so agile and so strong. And William, hey, here, man, hear me out. William says, Jake is learning from the Kelsey tape. He's been watching. The 24-yard catch and run was a Kelsey-type play. I know people sometimes make fun of this type of comparisons, right, where – Somebody's doing a great job and you compare him to the best of the position. And then it becomes a little bit funnier when he happens to wear number 87, etc. So I understand that some people make fun of these comps. But I think objectively from a football point of view, Jake Ferguson does show some Travis Kelsey-ish traits. And if that doesn't get you excited about his future, I don't know what will. Now, what I love to hear about Jake Ferguson too is what Dak Prescott had to say. And before we move on from this topic, let me say, let me read you one quote here. 
what I love to hear is that Dak sounds like he's a little bit obsessed with Jake Ferguson. And that means when we're that that means a whole lot when we're talking about these growing relationships and everything. Because Dak has praised him before. Uh, back in October, he was talking about how obsessed with football Jake Ferguson was, how all in he was to the process. And after this game, Dak Prescott said, listen, he's no different than me. I guarantee he can pull two or three plays up from this game and say he wants to get better at that. So a guy that's not satisfied, loves the game of football, and just as important, loves his teammates, loves who he's doing it with. Ferguson is that kind of guy that it's, Sounds like he's a little uh, a real captain within the locker room. You know, Cowboys rotate their two, three captains every week, but Jake it sounds like a guy that is a true leader within the locker room. And sometimes we, again, overblow these type of storylines about players, but I truly believe it when it comes to Jake Ferguson. I truly believe he's one of those guys that really cares about the jersey that he's wearing, the helmet that he's wearing, you know, I'll give him that credit because he sounds like he's obsessed with Dallas and he's obsessed with football overall. Now, all that being said, Dak Prescott went a long way to for, for Jake to have that game because, man, Dak was on an MVP performance on Thursday. He really was. I know the MVP conversation has been very slow to develop with Dak Prescott, mostly, I believe, because of a start that wasn't ideal to the Cowboys season, losing that away against San Francisco 49ers and everything. People were quick to dismiss him as an MVP candidate. But since the bye week, you know about the numbers. You've seen everything about the numbers. Thursday was, again, more about the stats. And he had fantastic stats, though. Three touchdowns, 29 of 41 attempts. You know, 115.8 passer rating. You know about the numbers. But it was a game where the defense did not show up. And Dak and the offense just pretty much showed up the entire game. You know about the fact that there wasn't a single punt in this game. There's been five of those in NFL history. Three of them, McCarthy has been involved, which I think is random AF. But hey, and let me read to you the end of each drive of the Cowboys. This is the first half. Field goal, touchdown, 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 end of half, okay. And then second half, it was touchdown, turnover on downs. And if you remember that turnover on downs, you know that it was a play where I don't know if we could really put it on Dak Prescott because the Cowboys went for it on fourth and two and CeeDee Lamb drops a perfect pass, honestly. You know, it's on the flat. He's, I mean, CeeLamp is running to the sticks, drops the football. I don't want to whine about CD dropping that ball because he had a fantastic game on Thursday. But that was the only turnover on downs from the Cowboys. And then after that, it was a field goal, a touchdown, and you can add another field goal to the list. Pretty insane game, honestly, from Dak and the Cowboys offense. And he connected with pretty much everybody. 12 passes, 12 catches to CeeDee Lamb. I mean, 12 completed passes, uh, six to Jake Ferguson. Brandon Cooks got involved with four catches himself. And then Pollard, Tolbert, Schoonmaker, Turpin, and Dowdle all had catches as well. It was just a performance where he was spreading the ball out. He was a little bit more under pressure than in some of the other games, right? Three consecutive games without a sack. That came to an end against the Seattle Seahawks. But hey, Dak Prescott putting together a, a big game where people are talking about him as a legit MVP candidate, even though he is unlikely to win the division. And I wonder if Dak's season becomes so good or, or keeps being this good to the point where he gets MVP votes and maybe even the MVP as a wildcard quarterback. Now, you might think that, hey, Mo, it's a player award. The fact that the team gets into the playoffs as a wildcard or not is a whole other discussion. And I would say maybe it should be that way, but it really isn't in the world of the MVP. The world of the MVP usually has the award going to a quarterback that is not only a divisional winner, but for the most part, a number one seed type QB. However, you know, it's, it's kind of like a weird era of the NFL that we're entering. So I wonder... Uh, I wonder 
how voters look at the QB position moving forward, especially with more and more offenses that try to make the life so easy on, on QBs. I, I wonder what the future of the MVP award is. I, I really do. Now, I do know that the Cowboys can still win the division. We'll talk about that in a little bit here, actually. But it's, it's going to be tough. It, it, I think it's fair to say, hey, it's going to be tough, honestly. That being said, though, let's talk about the other side of the football now, ladies and gentlemen. And let's talk about the defense and some of the concerns that popped up on Thursday's game. One of them, let me say right now, was game management. <laughs> Do you agree or disagree? Let me know in the chat. I've got that question for you. Do you agree or disagree? that Mike McCarthy's game management was a little bit of a nightmare on Thursday. Let me know in the chat, what do you make of that? And by the way, thank you so much for tuning into the show. If you are here, if you're enjoying the Cowboys talk, do me a favor and hit the like button for me because every like puts this show in front of more and more Cowboys fans. And again, we are live every Sunday through Thursday night at 8 p.m. Central here on Primetime. Let's see here. Modelo time says, should have run on third down. Mauricio, it's rusty, says Joey Bella. <laughs> the Cowboys have closed out so many games that it was rusty. Elio says, we need a consultor for McCarthy, like in Caudillas. He's talking about the Mexican Football League. Shout out to Elio. They had a consultant from the premier college football team in Mexico. They had him with a professional champion, which went undefeated. I don't know if he did game management, though. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Mark Aaron says, should have run the ball at the end. Instead, they threw it. Mike was too aggressive when he needed to be pragmatic. Says toxic. Listen, and, and here's the thing. I, I thought it was a nightmare game management their, uh, situation for Mike McCarthy. But hear me out. like Because Justin says, I think that McCarthy was maybe trying to cover the spread, and that's why he was throwing the football. Here's the thing. If the Cowboys had approached the drive differently, and if the approach from the start was, let's get the ball into the end zone here and close this game out, I would have respected it. I would have been like, you know what? That's actually a very gutsy approach. And I would have loved it. Not, not only respected it, I would have loved it, right? Try to end the game. Try to go out there and win it. I wouldn't have mind if the whole idea was to, you know, milk the clock and kill the game. But to me, you got to fully commit to one of those. And what I mean by that is if you're going to throw the football on third down, maybe start throwing the football on first and second down, right? If, if your goal is to get into the end zone, go ahead and do that. Go ahead and try to do that. Call plays in order to do that. Put the ball in the hands of Dak Prescott and company who are having an insane game. Go up by 10 and kill the game that way. But instead, if you're going to run on first down and you're going to run on second down towards the end of the game, then also run the football on third down, right? Don't give them, don't, don't give us that uh, half-assed approach where you're not fully committing to either of the of the potential outcomes of that drive, right? That's what I what I didn't love at all from the whole thing. Again, if the Cowboys would have been aggressive from the start of the drive, I wouldn't have mind at all. But I don't like the idea of just, you know, maybe banking on getting the first down on the early downs when the run game hasn't exactly been an elite, uh, you know, aspect of the team. That's what I didn't like. Uh, Troy says, run the ball twice and the game's over. We ran a, for 136 including Dak's run, says Mark Aaron. Cam says that the run game is weak. I will admit, the run game still worries me. I, I mean, I know that Pollard has had some big plays here and there, and I know that we get excited with Rico Dowdle, but yeah, I agree with Cam right there. I still think that the run game is a little bit of an issue for the Cowboys offense, and it's definitely one of the biggest issues for Dallas. And then the thing that you cannot like is that on defense, it's also perhaps the biggest issue for Dallas. Let's see here. Gabriel says, do you think that offensive coordinator Scott Schottenheimer has had a positive impact with Dak and this offense? Listen, it's always very difficult to know who does what, right? Like we know McCarthy is the offensive architect and we know that he's a play caller. 
And we know that maybe most of the credit offensively is, you know, McCarthy related. That's at least what I would speculate. But to me, everyone that's involved with the passing game, and that includes Schottenheimer, has had a positive impact. This is the best version of Dak Prescott that we've seen ever. And I cannot say anything wrong about those guys, right? QB coach, offensive coordinator, head coach, they all have my respect right now because of what they've done. Uh, Not only that, but also the running backs coach and the offensive line coach because of what they mean to pass protection as well. So honestly, man, everyone in the coaching staff, offensively speaking, to me, deserves a standing ovation from what we're seeing or what we've seen since the bye week. And also, you know, shifting that away from what they did pre-buy to what they're doing post-buy, man, you stand up and you applaud them. You applaud them. And hey, let's let's separate, right? Because that's what the, the offensive coaching was all about. They, they were A-plus on this game. McCarthy and the game management stuff, we can separate that a little bit, right? We can separate game management from offensive coaching. So that being said, the third down situation right at the end of the game isn't the only thing that I didn't love. I didn't understand. And to this point, I don't understand. And somebody, if somebody does, please let me know right now what the explanation for that is. But it still keeps me up at night (laughs) since Thursday. Why didn't the Cowboys go for two? When they are down 20 to 28, they score a touchdown, right? Tony Pollard, right end, six yards for the touchdown. You go 28-26, and you can go for two to tie the ball game. Instead, the Cowboys kick the extra point, and the score is 28 to 27. I still don't fully understand what the thought process was right there for Dallas. And hey, I know that it was a big win and I'm not even like complaining in a major way, but it was one of those things that to me was like, oh man, really? I still don't understand why. I I still don't understand what the whole idea was right there. Now, it didn't seem to matter a whole lot because the Cowboys ended up winning the game again and they did go for two under 38 score, right? When they went up to 38-35, can be happy about that because they had to go for a two in order to get a three-point lead instead of a two-point lead, you know. Uh, so that was nice. But one of the things that I didn't understand was that. Now, another controversial play call was going for it on fourth and two when CD Lamp dropped the, the pass. Many people complain about that one. I don't mind that one at all. I think it was funny, right, that you didn't go for it two, but you're going for it on fourth and two. But I did love the call to go for it because I think at that point in the game, you're seeing what your defense is doing. You're seeing what your offense is doing. I would much rather bet on Dak Prescott to get us that two yards instead of betting on the defense to get the stop. Uh, didn't play out the Cowboys way, but I obviously enjoyed it. And I obviously supported the call to go for it. And CD doesn't usually drop there, as Justin says. And he was open, and Dak Prescott was on target. It just came down to execution. Didn't mind that one at all. But the other two decisions was a little bit, you know, weird. And yes, the Cowboys won, as Cam says, right? He says, got the win. That's what mattered, for sure. But I always like to go through the good stuff, the bad stuff here in the game. And speaking of the bad stuff, let me know in the chat, from 1 to 10, how concerned are you about the Cowboys' defense moving forward? Because that wasn't a great defensive performance. And the Cowboys know it. Fans know it. Everybody knows it. It's no secret. But how concerned are you about the Cowboys' defense moving forward? Let me know in the chat. Let me give you some numbers here very quickly. The Seahawks generated... 406 yards of offense. That's an average of 6.3 yards per play. They had 9 of 14 on third down. And when they got to the red zone, they were 4 for 5 inside the red zone. Damn! That wasn't a fun game, defensively speaking. 
So let me know in the chat how concerned are you about it. Williams is seven. The Wizback goes with a six. Gregory goes with an eight. Jimmy goes with a seven. Cam goes with a five. Riding the fence right there from Cam, but I respect it because I feel somewhat similar. Toxic says, after playing four games in 19 days, give me a three. They all look slow and a step too late. Give me Bruce. Uh, Bruce goes with a four. I expect a massive bounce back. <clears throat> Troy says three. It was just a bad night. Metcalf is a monster. They will bounce back. And Katharina says three. We played a few games, plus Parsons was six as well. I'm going to go personally. Man, I hate to do it just like, you know, Cam did it. But I could go with a five. I could ride the fence here. But I'm going to go with a four maybe because I still believe this is one of the best defenses in the NFL. And it's very tough to have a defense in the league that is at the level of the Cowboys. And, you know, those days of dominant defenses like the 2013 Legion of Boom and everything, it's tough to find that in the NFL nowadays with the way that the passing game has evolved and everything. So I'll take the Cowboys defense over pretty much every defense right now in the NFL. There might be some exceptions, right, worth discussing and exploring but I still believe it's one of the best units in the league. I am concerned about the run defense. As I've said before, you know, 30th in defensive success rate against the run. That worries me, and it worries me big time against the Eagles, against the San Francisco 49ers in a hypothetical playoff matchup. That's why I'm still crossing my fingers for the Cowboys to make that low-risk bet and bring in Shaquille Leonard. We'll see what he decides in the next few days here. Uh, nothing is certain. Nobody has said anything. Uh, there's been some whispers here and there. I think Brian Baldinger said the other day on 105.3, the fan that he was leaning Cowboys, but it's impossible to know really. So I'm going to go with a four. I will say this though, and I've said it before here on primetime, but I think Thursday's game was yet another example of why, but here it goes. The whole thing about the Cowboys being a defensive operation and they wanting to rest the defense and all that, that is done. Like, McCarthy is no longer running the offense to optimize a defensive operation. They're not doing that anymore. And they shouldn't do that anymore. And I firmly believe, and I think it isn't crazy at all to say this based on what we've seen recently, that if you're banking on the Cowboys to go on a run and to be likely a wildcard team in the playoffs and for them to need to win three in a row on the road in order to get to the big one, you're betting on Dak Prescott and the offense to making that happen. You're not betting on the Cowboys' defense to pull that off. You're betting on the Cowboys' offense to pull that off. And that's why Dallas is being aggressive on early downs. That's why Dallas is putting the game in the hands of Dak Prescott. That's why they're aggressively targeting CeeDee Lamb. And that's why the offense looks extremely different since the bye week. I think that whole idea about this is a defensive first operation. We play to our defense. That's our strength. That is all in the rearview mirror. And I still believe one of the things shouldn't really impact how you do the other. You need to optimize your defense for defense. You need to optimize your offense to score points, as crazy as that may sound. But uh, I do believe the Cowboys do know that internally because it's no coincidence that the Cowboys have played def uh, offense so differently since the San Francisco 49ers game. Let's see here. Uh, never underestimate a team up against the wall. Seattle needed that win badly. And it was great to see Dallas play a team that is also playing well. I agree. And I think that the Seahawks, man, are going to keep looking better with Abraham Lucas back on the lineup. The right tackle, we talked about him. And his presence on the offensive line was surely notable on Thursday. So looking forward to seeing what the Seahawks do. And looking forward to maybe seeing the Seahawks, you know, oh, oh, man. I thought this was going to be a Shaquille Leonard. A uh, bit of news, but David Moore just tweeted that Jack Leonard is expected to take the rest of the evening to decide between the Cowboys and Eagles and inform the teams tomorrow of his decision. Man, come on. <laughs> like, I, I, we all want Jack, but it's crazy to me that, yeah, Jack, Jack is kind of like 
this seems like we were talking about the top free agent in March. <laughs> and I think it's funny. But anyways, uh, I, I was saying, you know that the Seahawks need to, I mean, you, you know that the Seahawks might be the team, might be the best shot at winning the division for the Cowboys. Like after Dallas, the Eagles get the Cardinals, they get the Giants twice, and they get the Seahawks. That might be the, the team that does us the favor, probably. Watch him sign with a random team like the Saints is toxic. Bruce is damn it, Mo, my blood pressure. Hey, that's how I felt. That's how I felt when that notification popped up on my phone. I was like, and it was update, all caps, and then Chad Leonard. And I was like, oh, damn. Wasn't anything, though. We'll see what happens tomorrow. Maybe, potentially, perhaps. We don't know. <laughs> we don't know. Anyways, uh, Daron Bland getting basically destroyed in the first half by Gino was noteworthy. I'm not hitting the panic button or anything like that. But even with the pick sixes, even with the interceptions, I'll say this, and I'm just talking about the last two games, not making it about the entire season or anything like that because that would be dumb. But just talking about the last couple of games, just talking about the last couple of games, Daron Bland kind of has become what people thought 2021 Trevon Diggs was. And again, just talking about the last couple of games, but Sam Howell was picking at Daron Bland and Gino Smith was picking at Daron Bland. And it's noteworthy. We should at least, you know, put it out there and say, Dayron needs to be a little bit better moving forward because what we've seen is probably not going to cut it. Uh, and again, I hate to say it because he's been so good for the for most of the season beyond the pick sixes. Like even if you take those away, he's had a pretty dominant year, right? He's one of the best in NFL rating allowed. He's one of the best in countless cornerback metrics that we could bring up, EPA per target, et cetera. And Again, not only because of the pick sixes, but uh, it's also a situation to watch, in my opinion, that we've seen back-to-back -back weeks where he's been picked apart by the opposing quarterback. Now, we can talk about the Cowboys' decision to play man-to-man -man coverage so much. I wouldn't bet on it changing. That's what Dan Queen has done pretty much since he got to Dallas. He likes to play one high defense, a lot of man coverage. And Jordan Lewis even came out after the game and he said, you know what, we take pride in playing man-to-man -man coverage. And at least that is noteworthy as well because that's really the identity of the Cowboys. I wouldn't bet on the Cowboys changing drastically how they do things on the back end of their defense. And I think that also has to do with what they do with the front because, you know, pressures and coverage, they need to be tied together. And I'm not sure if it would be simple to adjust the entire defensive identity. So expect more man coverage in the future, even if it's a questionable decision, if you want to put it that way. But something to watch, something to watch, right? Um, and again, man, it was a lot of plays where he was like one-on-one, -on -one and we can talk like Dewan says here, you know, Dan Quinn put him in a bad position. Maybe so, but this is likely the position that he's going to keep being in. And I'm not trying to roast Daron or anything like that. Again, like I said, he's had a very good season. But he's far from being like a shutdown cornerback or anything like that. To the point that, hey, in the second half, the Cowboys came out with a plan to put Stephon Gilmore on DK. And that went a long way into how the game played out. Because Gilmore didn't shut down DK, but he did slow him down at least some. And a noteworthy development, at the very least, in I think it's worth checking out like what the future looks like for this Cowboys cornerback group because it's not going to be an easy stretch. A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith next week, and I know they look well against them in week nine, but we'll see how, how they look at, this, at the second round. Then you get the Bills, which includes Stephon Diggs, and I know that the Bills have been inconsistent on offense, but also they're against the Bills, Against the Eagles, excuse me, they looked great. Like, it was great offense from the Bills. So I want to see that again. Then you get the nightmare, Tyreek Hill, in Week 16. Week 17, you, you face him on Ross and the Brown. 
Not going to be a fun stretch of games for the cornerbacks. And that's something to, to watch uh, moving forward for sure. All that being said, though, one more note before we get to the NFC East conversation. I wanted to share this one. How wild was how wild was the, the Seahawks' decision to leave Micah Parsons unblocked at the end of the game? There's been plenty of breakdowns about this play. I do think people who are saying that the running back is going out into the flat are correct. I think they're leaving Michael unblocked to get the football in the hands of the running back in a trick-ish play. Not really a trick play, but a creative design to put it one way. Because the Seahawks are fully sliding towards the left. And it looks like the running back is going to block Micah, which in itself would be also a terrible decision. But instead, I do think like he's trying to get out on a route and he gets interrupted a little bit there by Demarcus Lawrence getting in the, on the tackle and everything. It's a good play from everybody up front. But then Micah gets to the QB untouched, right? Not a sack, but a pressure to end the game. I thought it was interesting that after the game, Micah seemed to suggest that the Cowboys wanted to send a different play coverage, pressure-wise, we don't really know. But his quote was, and I'm paraphrasing, but something around like, coach wanted to get into some things. And I was like, no, let's just be us. Let's do what we do. And when you watch the replay, and this was pointed out to me by somebody who read my article about the whole thing, you watch the replay, and Micah is shaking his head right before the play. And maybe the Cowboys wanted to get into some sort of like a change-up call there with a specific pressure or a specific coverage. And Micah was like, nah, 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 like shaking his, hand, uh, his head repeatedly. And the Cowboys basically get into cover one with a pressure. So it was an interesting development right at the end of the play. And Micah closing out the game was awesome to watch. And we can debate about whether it was a design play or not. I do think it was a little bit designed. Like I'm banking on that after several like analysis. But it was fun. It was fun to see Micah say that and basically suggest that he has earned the respect of the coaching staff to the point that where he shares some insight as to, hey, you know what? Screw that. Let's just do what we do and we can beat them with basic stuff, which he also said. And the Cowboys staff trusting him is huge, in my opinion. I don't know exactly how the communication works, though, with uh, Queen being up in the booth and Micah is looking at somebody at field level. And again, it's tough to know who he's talking about in the quote, etc. But yes, talk success here. He was like, look at me. I'm the defensive coordinator now on that final play. And it worked out. Love to see that. Love to see that from somebody who isn't even really the communicator on defense. He's clearly the, the guy, right, on Dan King, in Don Quinn's defense, but it was just fun to see uh, that moment, and I love to see that it worked, too. You know, the Cowboys were trying to generate that five-man front, too, up front, to get Micah isolated on the right tackle, and it turns out he actually was unblocked, so even better. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, let's full, uh, let's end this show with some NFC East conversations because, man, the Eagles lost to the 49ers and things have gotten interesting. If the Cowboys beat the Eagles next Sunday, they would be kind of NFC East leaders. But what does that really mean? Let me show you kind of what it means. Uh, the first graphic is what would happen if the Cowboys and the 49ers and win. And I, I just used the 49ers. I, I had the 49ers winning out just for simplicity's sake. But if the Cowboys beat the Eagles next week, they would be division leaders with the, with the Eagles going to the wildcard spot. 10-3, and three, it's the Cowboys' division. But that doesn't mean that they control their destiny because they don't, period. Even if they win out after that, even if they go... 14-3 and three to end the season, and they beat the Bills, and they beat the Lions, and they beat the Dolphins, and they beat the Commanders again. If the, if the Eagles also win out, it's the Eagles' division. The reason why is this. The number one tiebreaker within the division is head-to-head -head record. And in this scenario, in this hypothetical scenario, 
they would split wins, right? Because we have the Cowboys winning in week 14. Second tiebreaker is games in common. No, actually, I'm lying to you. Sorry about that. Uh, the the Damn. Divisional games. Man, I, I kind of got lost here a little bit because I got confused here. Third tiebreaker <clears throat> is divisional, excuse me, games in common. Sorry, I, I know this segment just started sucking, but now I want to make sure as to not tell you any lies because I had this article fully written before here on the show. But the point is we get to the fourth tiebreaker, which is the conference record. Right, right, right. Sorry. Divisional record, and then you get to games in common, and the Cowboys lost to the Cardinals. The Eagles, if they win out, would be beating the Cardinals, right? I kind of, in my head, stopped considering like head-to-head as a tiebreaker, and that's where I got confused. So here it goes. Sorry about that. Let's just rewind the whole show, and just my apologies. In my head, I just scratched the head-to-head as a tiebreaker. Number one tiebreaker, head-to-head. Number two tiebreaker, it's division. Number three, you get to game scene coming. And the Cowboys have the edge on that one, or, or they're actually tied because the Cowboys, yes, they lost to the Cardinals and the Eagles beat the Cardinals, but the Eagles lost to the Jets and the Cowboys beat the Jets. So then they are the same, right? After everything is, you know, settled at the end of the season, they're going to be the same right there. And then that's why you get to the fourth tiebreaker. Sorry about that again. And that's the conference record. And since the Cowboys beat the Jets, that doesn't matter because they're from the AFC. They didn't beat the Cardinals. And in this scenario, the Eagles do beat the Cardinals. That's where this Eagles reclaim the NFC East. So just think about how painful that would be if it plays out. The Cowboys are going to go up in the division if they beat the Eagles in Week 14. And it's going to seem like they control their destiny. But then randomly in Week 17, when the Eagles beat the Cardinals, it's going to go back to Philly. I'm just preparing you for what could happen. Not saying that it will, not saying any of that, but hey, it could happen that way. And in my opinion, that is the worst way to lose the division. Like have it in our hands and then have it ripped away from us. That's going to be tough to see if it does happen. That's why the Cowboys still need two more losses from the Eagles. They need to beat them in week 14. And then they need somebody to step up and beat Philly another time. So that way, you don't go to a tiebreaker. And this is all making a very difficult assumption, too, of the Cowboys winning out. Because it's not an easy stretch of games. So this is all if the Cowboys win out, which is a huge if by itself. But if Dallas wins out, they still need two more losses. uh, Or one more loss, including the loss to the Cowboys. Excuse me, on top of the loss to the Cowboys. It's going to be tough. And maybe the best shot at it is Geno Smith. Geno Smith making it happen with the Seahawks based on what we saw last Thursday. But it's not going to be easy at all, right? But I would much rather bet on the Seahawks than bet on the Giants with Tommy DeVito or bet on the Cardinals. Uh, that's going to be a tough matchup, for, of course. Gregory says, Hurts might not survive the season. Philadelphia did not get the dub. We lost it on our own, says Cam. Mo, is it possible that the Eagles picked too soon, says Calvin? I'm not going to say that because I don't. I think they're a good team. I think they're a really good team. One of the best three in the NFC. I think the Cowboys can beat them next week. I'm I'm leaning Cowboys, honestly, because it was such a tight game the first time. And since the preseason, I was like, hey, they're going to split the win. So I'm leaning Cowboys next Sunday for sure. Toxic says, Moe is still grieving that his Steelers lost today. Man, they're not my Steelers. You know that. Mo, you need a unity beer, says Modelo. Yeah, I'm sorry, man. I got all, you know, my ideas got messed up in my brain for a second right there. Sorry about that. And then I was overthinking and I didn't want to say it the wrong way. So I was like, give me a second. Let me gather my thoughts. But we got it right now. We got it right now. So it's going to be tough to win the division. Uh, Regarding the Eagles, I don't think they picked too soon. I think the 49ers are really freaking good and they're scary. Honestly, if they do that to the Cowboys and they do that, to Philly. You know that's a scary team right there. But 
I do think they have been lucky. And I don't mean luck. Listen, luck is a weird word because people are like, luck doesn't exist. So let me clarify what luck means in this scenario. Luck means having things that are not sustainable go your way. And I'm talking about some of the officiating calls. I'm talking about the turnover battles. I'm talking about third down offense as well. And I'm talking about the fact that the Eagles have won most of their games in one score, one possession showdowns. And that matters because the NFL is such a tight league that if you try to live in that world where you're winning every game by one possession, some of those games are not going to go your way. They're just not. And one of my big takes as to why I picked the Niners to win this week was the Eagles are a team that can really kill the clock, that can really draw out an off, drag out an offensive drive and everything. And because of that, they can really put together a comeback drive right at the end. But I didn't know that the 49ers were going to give them the, ch the chance to do so. And they didn't. That's what happened on today's game. So I do think the Eagles are quite biddable. I do think that they're quite biddable. I'm not, I don't feel the same way about the Niners. I, I'm still very scared about the 49ers. They've earned that at the very least. But yeah, uh, Philly didn't pick too early. I just think they're biddable. And I think that secondary is definitely one area that the Cowboys can exploit. And they did back in week nine. Didn't go the Cowboys way, but objectively the offense had a good game against the Philly defense. So we'll see how it all plays out next Sunday. I'm not sure about them peaking too early. I'm not sure that's the way that I would describe it, though. Oh, snap. I don't know if that's true, Mark. He says, heard the security guy is banned from the NFL now. Man, that would be huge. I don't think that's going to end up holding up, maybe. Like, that's just my initial reaction to it. I don't know where you saw that, Mark. But if I missed the news, and, and I might have, because we've been here for almost an hour now. But I think that would be an overreaction by the NFL, maybe. Not saying what he did today was right, but yeah, that would be crazy. You have to move the pocket in a lot of misdirection on the Niners. Yep, the one is right, right there. But anyways, ladies and gentlemen, that will be it for me tonight here on the show. Do me a favor, guys, and hit the like button for me if you enjoyed tonight's episode of ADC Sports Dallas Primetime. Sorry about the whole brain fart thing when we were discussing the NFC East odds right there. But hey, sometimes it happens. And ladies and gentlemen, I'll see you tomorrow night, 8 p.m. Central here on ADZ Sports Dallas Primetime. Hit the like button for me. Y nos vemos el día de mañana. Muchas gracias. Bye-bye.